Hello, Wayside Chapel. My name is Pastor Charles Mugisha, President and Founder of African New Life Ministries. I've been a missionary with Wayside Chapel for the last 22 years. I want to thank you for inviting me to speak to the men at Wayside Chapel during this retreat. A time that's not easy for any of us. It's been a challenging moment for our community in Rwanda and for the whole world. Here in Rwanda, many people have been affected by the pandemic, by getting sick, by loss of jobs, by loss of fellowship, especially in our churches because the churches have been closed for some time. This has created an intensity of fear and hopelessness in our communities. I am glad that God is still on the throne. We've seen God heal, we've seen God provide, and we've seen God protect. We've put our faith in God, and we are trusting him to lead us through this season. The biggest threat for us here in Rwanda and Africa New Life is the accelerated state of hunger, where people can't actually afford to buy food. That has been a really, really big thing here. But we thank God that God has been providing through partners like you. Many of our supporters have continued to support the ministry during this season, and we thank God for that. But as a result, we fed thousands and thousands of people. We thank God. He's helping us during this season to overcome our fear, especially the fear of lack of necessities in our communities. Having said that, many people still suffer, but God is good. As we continue to pray and trust him, he comes through all the time. On a personal note, I was terrified a few weeks ago when my wife got covid my daughter got COVID, my son got COVID, a number of individuals in my uh, worship team got COVID, including my worship pastor. Uh, COVID came so close to us, created so much fear and turmoil within our own community. But let me tell you, by God's grace, we chose to embrace the spirit of faith instead of the spirit of fear. And as a result, we thank God many people have recovered. We are on our way to being strong again. God has reminded me this verse. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, friends. God gave us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and self-discipline. That's why, as God's children, we have to resist panicky caused by COVID-19 and endless spirit of faith in God because God has promised to be with us in all circumstances. Resist panicky, I say this again. This is not to say that there's no reason to be concerned, okay? COVID-19 is real. I've seen COVID in my own house. Fear and panicky, they are not from God. God gives us calmness and hope. 
it's possible to respond to a crisis seriously and deliberately while maintaining an inner sense of calm and peace God gives us through prayer. That's why I want to echo the words of Prophet Isaiah when Prophet Isaiah said that when you go through deep waters and trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not be drawn. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Someone give me a hallelujah over there. Because this is the promise of God that we are not going to be consumed. And therefore, we dispel fear and we embrace our faith through the spirit of prayer. And as a result, God gives us victory in the midst of our enemies. God has never failed us and God will never fail us. I hope you've been encouraged by this short message of faith and hope. Uh, may God bless you and be with you and give you a wonderful retreat as you, as you spend time together building your faith. Uh, thank you. I love you. And I miss you and see you soon one of these days. It was great to hear from Pastor Charles. Uh, it was one of the greatest blessings of my life to be able to go to Rwanda a couple of years ago and, and see the ministry of African New Life and, and to see what the Lord is doing uh, through Pastor Charles. And, and so it was a great reminder for us to know how to, how to pray for them uh, during this time of need and if I haven't met you yet, I'm Will Davis. I serve as the campus pastor at our Stone Oak campus, and, and it was such a great evening last night there at Stone Oak, and great to gather together again for worship this morning. And this time reminds me of uh, the Saturday mornings that we have at the Stone Oak campus once a month called a men's gathering, and it's just an hour and 15 minutes, 9 to 10.15, and it's very similar to this. We just gather for fellowship. We used to have tacos pre-COVID, so hopefully those will come back. <clears throat> but uh, we gather for worship and fellowship, and we have a, a short little message and time and prayer. And I often say during those gatherings, I can't think of a better way to start my Saturday morning, just to have that hour and 15 minutes of, of worship and encouragement from men like you. And so I encourage you guys, if y'all want to come out anytime to the Stone Oak Men's Gatherings, our uh, Doug often leads us in worship as well. And so uh, we appreciate his ministry. Uh, our next one is this next Saturday. So at nine o'clock next Saturday at Stone Oak, uh, and you're welcome to join us. I, I do want to say <clears throat> thank you to Doug and uh, to Rob and Clayton for leading us in worship, and, and David Salisbury last night. And thank you to Stephen and, and the whole men's leadership team for all of the preparation, all the prayers that went into this weekend. Thank you, men, uh, so very much. Also, many thanks to Ben and John and, and all of our AV team. Uh, you guys uh, are amazing, and we couldn't have any of this w without, without you all. So can we show all these folks our thanks and appreciation?
And uh, so, again, to those joining us online, uh, we pray you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us again uh, this morning, wherever you're, you're tuning in. I love the theme this year of thriving and not just surviving. Some of us feel like maybe we just barely survived uh, the snowmageddon of, of last week. And, and before that, you know, we, we've been in this worldwide pandemic, you know, that none of us saw coming. And you know, we heard talk at the end of 2020 from many people who couldn't wait for the year to be over, as if suddenly turning the page on the calendar would mean an end to these uncertain times in which we live, and we know that that's not the case. We still find ourselves in this season of uncertainty, and and Cameron, our our student ministries pastor, uh, will be talking about that tonight, just the, the topic of uncertainty. And uncertainty can be unsettling. But it's an important conversation for us to have and ask, how can we as men of God, men of purpose, men of action, how can we lead with courage in these uncertain days? And and Stephen, you did a great job kicking us off last night uh, with the message on the dangers of isolation. And I, I love those five pillars that he shared with us. And how the enemy can use this tactic of isolation as a means of hindering our walk with Christ. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, I pray it has reminded us of the importance of community. Meaningful, authentic fellowship. We weren't made for isolation. We need each other. We need those spiritual friendships that we spoke of. You know, we need brothers in Christ like you all. We weren't created to be socially distant. God created us for emotional nearness and spiritual oneness as we abide in God as the body of Christ. And so it's vital that we don't isolate ourselves, but we pursue a handful of guys that we can, we can lock arms with in deep, authentic friendship. I know that I need that. And I have felt that emotional void created over this last year when those godly friendships uh, have been lacking. And this morning, I want us to look at another tactic that the enemy can use to, to hinder our walk with Christ. But let me first pray for us. Father God, uh, we stand amazed when we We think of your majesty and your greatness. And we thank you for this time just to get away for a bit, to worship you, to exalt your name, to listen to your voice as you speak to us and minister to our hearts through your word, your spirit, through the time in worship, through time in prayer, and through meaningful fellowship with other guys, imperfect sinners just like me, who need your strength and your faith and your love that you alone can provide as we seek to walk by faith and live as men who 
imitate you, Lord Jesus. So empower us for all that you have called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It started like any other Tuesday morning. I got out of bed, had a cup of coffee, had some breakfast, kissed my wife goodbye, and then drove to the campus of Dallas Seminary for my 8 a.m. class. And it was there while sitting there in that Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. class, that the professor informed all of us that a passenger plane had just flown into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. And we stopped the class right then and there and prayed. The time was just after 8.46 a.m., September 11th, 2001. 17 minutes later, the South Tower was hit, making it very clear that this was no isolated accident. And you may be replaying in your mind right now where you were as those tragic events unfolded. The nation then watched in surreal shock as both of the towers then fell and the scope of this attack became more evident as we hear of another plane that has crashed in rural Pennsylvania and another that that crashed into the Pentagon building. And as you return to that dark day in your mind, What were some of the emotions and feelings that you or others were experiencing that day? If y'all could speak to me and share. Fear, uncertainty, anger, shock, hopelessness, confusion, numbness, but definitely fear. There was real fear as we realized that we weren't as strong as we thought we were. We were vulnerable. The United States wasn't impenetrable or or indestructible. There was fear for what all of this might mean for our security and our safety. And now fast forward 20 years later, and we're up against a far different threat. It's not bin Laden or Al-Qaeda, but a faceless virus, an unseen threat that has not only attacked America, but the entire world. And once again, we can experience fear. And the real enemy, Satan, can use this tactic of fear to get us off track spiritually, to veer us off course in our pursuit of Christ and our spiritual race. You know, in the early days of the COVID shutdown and and the quarantine, I was struggling with some fearful thoughts and and some anxieties and, and worries. But instead of going to my knees in prayer or or to the Word of God for answers, often the first thing I looked at in the morning, or the last thing I checked before going to bed, was my phone to see the daily number of of COVID cases. As if that growing number would replace any fear with the peace of God. And I'm sad to admit that at times I, I was looking to see what Dr. Fauci or other experts were saying 
instead of what does the great physician say? What does the word of God say? Because that information I was getting from those news apps wasn't calming my fears. If anything, the stats were escalating my fear. Until I finally just said enough. You know, instead of spending time looking to the things of this world for hope and answers, I needed to marinate in God's word and his promises. Scripture had to be the first thing that I looked to in the morning. The last thing I opened before going to bed because what I was reading on my phone was just fueling my fear of the unknown. Fear for my family. Fear for my dad who lives alone and was experiencing some isolation. Fear for the health and well-being of of older folks in our our congregation. Fear of losing connection with with our our campus, you know, as it was closed for, for eight months. Fear of loss. Financial fear, fear of losing control, and and perhaps some of these same fears entered your mind as well. Jesus knew that we would struggle with fear. That's why his most frequent command in scripture is fear not. It's often the first thing that he said to his disciples, almost like a greeting instead of hello or shalom. He says, fear not, don't be afraid. Jesus understood our frailty and our our tendency to worry and to fear. But we also see from God's word that that not all fear is unhealthy. Scripture speaks of a holy, reverent fear of God. This kind of fear is living in awe of an all-powerful, almighty God. And we see this in Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 9 and Psalm 111 and Job 28, 28. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. We saw this fear recently in our, in our sermon series at, at Wayside in, in 1 Peter, in chapter 1, verse 7, where Peter says, conduct yourselves in fear. So this kind of fear is being overwhelmed and overpowered by the sheer thought of who God is and what he has done for us, which in turn should lead to obedience that is demonstrated in worship. But it's a spirit of fear that's not from God, as Pastor Charles just spoke about, that the enemy can use to take our eyes off the Lord. And I want us to look at a passage this morning in the book of Hebrews that speaks to our faith in the midst of fear. And as, as you, you know, turn on your Bibles or your phone or whatever, if you want to check that out in Hebrews 11, this passage reminded me of David Baker. Does anybody here know that name? Okay. You know who it is? Pardon? No, no, not a pastor. Okay. I had a prize up here for somebody who may know that name. He's not a household name. And his appearance, though, is rather unforgettable. He is this mountain of a man. David Baker is 68 years old, and he stands 6 feet 9 and weighs 400 pounds. And David Baker is the president and CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. 
And I first started noticing him a few years ago because in photos, he was standing next to these other large football players, and they were looking small next to him. And I read an article about David Baker that describes him as the closest thing to a fairy godmother for dudes. Because David will suddenly show up on the night before the Super Bowl and famously knock on the hotel room doors of these all-time great players. And David gets to deliver the news. Congratulations. You've made it into the Hall of Fame. And what do you think the most common response is from these all-time gridiron greats, these tough guys? <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> tears. Yeah, tears. Tears of joy. As these resumes of these players are compared to other greats, they are deemed worthy to be included in such an elite group, the Hall of Fame. And David Baker, he gives this little speech uh, to, all, to the players as they open their doors. And at the end of it, he says, you're going into Canton as one of the best players, coaches, or contributors of all time. In Hebrews 11, we see here not a hall of fame, but what is famously known as the hall of faith. These great Old Testament examples of imperfect men and women, just like you and me, who had many of our same struggles and fears, but they kept their eyes on God and they are forever enshrined in scripture as examples of faith to us. And today I want to share with you three questions that I wrestled with this past year as I struggled with fear. And then three men from Hebrews 11 that were very helpful examples to me in the face of fear. And then three points of application. But the message for you this morning isn't if you struggle with fear or anxiety or worry, it must mean that your faith is lacking. Your faith must not be big enough like these Old Testament folks. You just need more faith. But we know that it's not always that simple. Because anxiety and fear can at times, without warning, jump on our backs and it becomes this overwhelming weight. But Hebrews speaks to us of a faith that can strengthen us and empower us when we feel overwhelmed by fear. We first read in Hebrews 11.1 1, a theological definition of faith in these two parallel and almost identical phrases. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Stephen uh, referenced this last night. Biblical faith isn't some wishful thinking, but living in a hope that is so real that it gives us absolute assurance. Faith is not a longing that something may come to pass in an uncertain tomorrow, but true faith is living in absolute certainty. Certainty as we follow a God whose audible voice we have never heard, and belief in a Jesus whose face we have never seen, and walking in the power of an indwelling spirit that we can't tangibly touch. But we have faith as men of God because our faith has a reality and an assurance that is unshakable. 
And three questions that I struggled with this past year as, as I was dealing with fear and fearful thoughts were, number one, God, where are you taking me in all of this? As leaders of the home, it was a challenge for us to lead through the unknown. And I prayed at times, God, you're taking me through some uncharted territory here, and I'm afraid. Question number two was, God, are you still there? Did you forget about me? And then question number three, as we were in quarantine and some isolation, insecurities would creep in and I would ask, God, who am I that you would choose to use me and work through my life? And then three godly men from this hall of faith came along and were very helpful to me during these moments of fear. Number one, Abraham. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham. I counted 19 times in Hebrews 11 where we read by faith, by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. The faith of these men and women were essential in their walk with the Lord. Because we read in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Abraham not only believed, but then when he was called, he obeyed. This pagan man came to faith in God and then he stepped out in his new faith, which then led to action. Abraham obeyed by leaving Ur and then heading out for Canaan, which he would later receive as an inheritance. Verse 9, by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Faith not only involves belief and an intellectual assent, but it involves us taking a step and earnestly seeking after God. God told Abram, Abram in, in Genesis 12, 1, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. You are to live as a foreigner. Like me, Abraham may have been wrestled, wrestling with a question that I was facing. God, where are you taking me in all of this? You're leading me through some uncharted territory and I'm afraid. As believers in Christ, when we fear, we can rest in the truth that this is not our home. We are to live as aliens and strangers, 1 Peter 2.11. We read in Hebrews 11.16 that these Old Testament patriarchs left all that they ever knew in pursuit of a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And that's how we are to live as well. In pursuit of Christ and our citizenship in heaven, where an, an eternal inheritance awaits us. The second man who was of great help to me was Joseph in Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning 
his bones. If you recall the, the story of Joseph in, in Genesis 37, his jealous brothers sell him into slavery and Joseph is taken off to Egypt where he rises to prominence in the service of Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. But after being wrongly accused of a crime, Joseph is thrown into prison and while he is there, he distinguishes himself once again and Joseph is put in charge of all the other prisoners. Whatever Joseph does, the Lord prospers him. And then after some time, Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker are thrown into prison. And one night, they both have the same dream. And Joseph is able to interpret that dream and what he interprets comes to pass. And the cupbearer is restored to his royal position. And you can imagine Joseph calling out through the bars of the prison as the cupbearer is, is returning to the palace. Hey, remember me. Make sure you tell Pharaoh about all of this. Don't forget about me. But the cupbearer does forget. And two long years go by. Two years of waiting on God. But we don't read of any bitterness from Joseph. But perhaps he had some of the same questions that I was facing. God, are you still there? Did you forget about me? But God didn't forget. Genesis 39, 23 says, the Lord was with Joseph. And then we see this interesting mention here of, of Joseph's bones in Hebrews eleven twenty two. What's that all about? When, when Joseph was nearing death, he was so confident that one day God would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus that he told those around him, when you leave 400 years from now, don't forget to take my bones. What an interesting request. Don't forget my bones and then bury them with our people. That's genuine faith, an assurance of things yet to come and a, convictions of, a conviction of things still unseen. And then the third example is Moses. There are several by faith verses in Hebrews 11 dedicated to this very important figure in the Old Testament. But we read in verse 27, by faith Moses left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. When God first told Moses to return to Egypt, to give the message to Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses responds in Exodus 3.11 with some insecurity like I was feeling. Who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that you should choose to use me and work through me? Moses then says in Exodus 4.10, Please, Lord, I, I've never been good with words. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Have you heard my brother Aaron speak? He is so much more qualified than me. But God assures Moses that he will be with him in the midst of fear. And Moses endured. 
by keeping his eyes on God as seeing him who is unseen. When we fear, we can know that God is near. When our kids are young and they have a a nightmare or, or perhaps they are afraid because of a thunderstorm, they may crawl into bed next to us because they need somebody near. You holding them doesn't stop the lightning or the thunder. It doesn't bring uh, the power back on or or start the water flowing again like we saw last week. But it does change how they face the situation because they are no longer alone. We help them face fear in the midst of, of struggle because daddy is holding them. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us when we face our fears and our insecurities. He comforts us with his nearness. He comforts us and assures us with his promises like Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. And 2 Timothy 1.7 that Charles referenced as well, for we do not have a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Mature men of God step out and act on the promises of God despite their fears. These hall of faith men and women, they had faith, but then they acted. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, and so on and so on. And finally, this morning, I want to leave you with three points of application from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. As we display that faith in action, three F's. Number one, by faith, live in your freedom in Christ. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, after all that we have just seen in, in Hebrews 11, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, surrounding us. I'm going to pause there for a second. These Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11 are not watching over us, but serving as godly witnesses to us. They are not onlookers, but examples of the life of faith that we are to live. And knowing this, verse 1 continues, let us Also, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. The Greek word there for entangle means encircle or ambush. Because sin can ambush us at times, especially during weak and vulnerable moments. And there are sins that can encumber us in our race of faith. Y'all remember, if, if you have been around long enough, but, you know, back in the 1980s, remember, remember how those ankle weights were so popular when you went jogging? And uh, I'm actually wearing a pair here this morning. This is the first time I've, I've ever worn them while, while giving a message, but I just bought some yesterday at Academy for this illustration, and I'll, I'll return them on, on the way home. Um, <laughs> But uh, these used to be real popular with, with joggers. And then they probably just messed up all of 
our knees and ankles, you know, if you're wearing them. Uh, but growing up, our family had a pair, and they were much more bulkier than uh, the ones today. I didn't know they were still around, but, but man, I would strap on, on those babies, you know, maybe in middle school, and, and I thought I looked so cool running in the neighborhood with those big old bulky ankle weights on. But do you remember what happened you know, when you took off those weights? You felt so much more freedom. It felt like you were just jogging on air. And your legs felt so light. Some of us here today need to lay aside some weights. That extra baggage of, of sin that we weren't intended to carry around. Maybe it's the sin of lust and uh, the grip of pornography that, that we keep trying to justify. Maybe it's that angry temper that leaves others hurting in its wake or our pride that just keeps rearing its ugly head. These things are encumbering and entangling us. I like how Tim Keller says that every sin is somehow rooted in something that we don't believe or have forgotten about God. So we must not lose sight of God's holiness, God's righteousness, the gentleness of Christ, the humility of the Lord. God can't fully do the work of sanctification and spiritual formation that he desires to do in each and every one of you if we keep holding on to some of those weights. Christ desires for us to live in the freedom that he died for. And that's why community like this is so vital because we weren't intended to carry these burdens alone. Point number two is, by faith, finish well. Finish well. Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1 continues, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, for believers, it's good news that there isn't a hall of fame in heaven. You know, yes, there are eternal rewards in this life, uh, in, in, in the life to come, based on our faithfulness in this life, and those will look different for each one of us. And it won't be a comparison game because each person has their own unique spiritual race to run. But when it comes to our salvation in Christ, that's the beauty of the cross. It's the great equalizer. Regardless of wealth or status or upbringing, all are on an equal playing field at the foot of the cross. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And when we depart from this life, we won't be received into heaven based on our accomplishments or achievements. There won't be someone uh, knocking on our door saying, Congratulations, you've made it into heaven as one of the best husbands, fathers, neighbors, churchgoers, and businessmen of all time. We will not be judged by good works or a spiritual resume 
but simply by faith in Christ alone. By grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Through faith in that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then the final point is number three. By faith, fix your eyes on Jesus. When we experience fear, when we are tempted by these sins that can entangle us and encumber us, we must remain fixated on Christ. Hebrews 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Greek word for race is agon, from which we get the word agony. And that totally makes sense if you've ever run in a, in a marathon before. There's agony. It's hard. There's suffering. There's, there's many obstacles along the way. And when we take our eyes off the finish line, it can be so easy just to give up and step off the course and say, that's it. I'm done. I'm living for myself and, and I'm living for the world. But God has so much more for you. So we must keep fixing our eyes. This is the only time we see this Greek word in the New Testament for fixing our eyes. And it means to direct our attention without distraction. To fix our eyes trustingly, not on something, but someone. And as great as these Old Testament examples are to us, and, and it's a great study if you, know, if you have... Um, you know, sons and daughters, just to go through and study these characters, you know, take, take a, a person a week and talk about what are their strengths and where did they mess up and how did God use them and what did God do in their lives? And, and uh, so Hebrews 11 is a, is a great, great study. These men and women, they serve as examples to us, but the supreme model of faith is the author of faith himself, Jesus For he not only pioneered, but he perfected the path that we should follow as believers. Since he reached its end successfully. He endured to the point of death on the cross and then resurrection from the grave. So when we face fear, we can fix our eyes on him who fixed his eyes on his father and the joy set before him and scorned the shame attached to the cross and assume the victorious position at the right hand of the throne of God. Just a month after 9-11, in October of 2001, I was running in the Washington, D.C. marathon with 15,000 other people. And in this race, you first run through uh, Georgetown and then into Arlington and, and past Arlington National Cemetery And then as I'm running with with hundreds of other people around me, you look over and there on your right-hand side is the Pentagon building. And everyone goes completely silent. This is just a month after 9-11. There's no music playing. uh, There's no crowds cheering. And all you can hear is the sound of, of hundreds of shoes striking the pavement. And it was such a sobering few minutes as you run past and you see this enormous black hole on the west side of the Pentagon where American Airlines Flight 77 crashed just a month before. 
And you see that the cranes are already there at, at work trying to repair the breach. And covering the hole was this enormous American flag. And as the crowd of runners ran past this symbol of our defense that was hit but not destroyed, many began to shout in unison, USA, USA. And as powerful as that moment was for our nation, a nation still reeling with fear and shock, that wasn't the focus of the race. The focus was the finish line that you can't see, but you know it's out there. And then the race takes you back over the Potomac and onto the mall and past the monuments and the memorials. And for that last stretch of the race, you cross back over into Arlington and the, the final mile is uphill to the Iwo Jima Memorial. And, and as I began that last mile, uh, I, I look over and see my wife and, and her parents, my brother-in-law, other friends that had been rooting me on at different points along the course. And for that final mile, I, I grab my wife's hand, Kara's hand, and we, we run that, that final mile together. But then right at the end of the race, Kara couldn't cross that finish line with me because it, it wasn't her race. I had to finish we all have our own race to run. And the freedom that Christ has set before us through his life, his perfect life, his death and his resurrection for us, he saved us, but we can't slow down at salvation. We can't stop. With the spirit of power that indwells us, we must endure. And we need a few godly friends like, like the, the men in this room that serve as that cloud of witnesses to us to spur us on, to lift us up when we are weak and who are praying for us and who are, who are cheering, don't give up, don't stop, fear not, fix your eyes on Jesus, finish well so that one day we may hear Christ say those words, not just congratulations, you've made it, but well done. You finished well. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father God, we read in your word in, in Psalm 56 uh, when David says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In you, God, whose word I praise. And Father, as, as men of faith, as men of courage, as men of purpose, as men of action, you have called us to lead our families with confidence, not from our own strength, but from the confidence that you, Lord Jesus, provide to us. And to obey you, even when we don't know what fully lies ahead, like Abraham. We pray for your strength to, to keep the faith, even when we feel insecure and weak, like Moses. And we ask for the endurance to keep running as we wait on you, God, like Joseph. 
with this one life that you have entrusted to us, God. Help us to finish well, like the faithful did in, in Hebrews 11, these heroes of the faith. But it's you, Lord Jesus. You are the epitome of faith. And it's your example, most of all, that we seek to emulate. From birth to death, your life was to totally committed into your Father's hands. And that's why we must keep our eyes upon you. We are yours, Lord Jesus. Would you do a great work in the hearts of these men today and in their lives and their families and their marriages. In the midst of uncertainty and, and fear, Lord, we offer our lives once again to you, the author and the object of all of our truest faith and hopes. In the joyful anticipation of receiving that crown of righteousness one day in heaven that we will then cast at your feet in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.